0: I believe that podcasts don't grow organically. I don't think there is a good enough search tool. There are people, you're probably one of them, Louis, who can buck the trend, but there really isn't a good search tool for podcasts. So just creating a really good podcast with a title, which is linking to the thing that you're creating, probably won't be enough to get people to find it, discover it, listen to it. And so you do have to think about how you're gonna market the podcast. How are you gonna get new listeners? How are you gonna get people to subscribe?
1: Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the no-fluff actionable marketing podcast for people sick of marketing bullshit. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. In today's episode, you will learn how to juggle a full-time job with a successful side project or multiple side projects. My guest today is my brother from a British mother. He's a product marketing expert working at Buffer right now, but he used to work for Hotjar. He's a consumer psychology fanatic. He's a podcaster as well with his Nudge podcast, which is a simple evidence-based tips to help you kick bad habits, get a raise and grow a business fantastic podcast. I recommend it to everyone listening, Nudge podcast. I've been in touch with my guest for a while. I've always admired how he manages to juggle the demanding full-time job that he has with his very successful, quote-unquote, side hustle. So, Phil, and you, welcome. Hey, Louis. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for that lovely, lovely intro
0: brother from another mother that's the first time i've been introduced like that so i know that's a big bit of praise for me i know you don't say that to every guest
1: i don't say that to every guest at all it's you're the first one i said that because it's true right We have so many things in common besides being very good looking we work for the same company we work for hoja we do podcasting you're doing it on the side right now i used to do it on the side you're into psychology you love first principles yeah i think there's a lot in common here yeah I think I definitely looked up and still do look up to you as a big brother. So there's a good analogy there. And you're right. Keep continue to look up to me. I enjoyed <laughs> the site. So you had that and you said you, you thought about it for a while, like what perfection looked like or what really good quality looks like. So maybe briefly, can you describe what quality, a quality episode looks like from your perspective?
0: Different for everyone. I sort of wish I'd started a podcast with someone else. And it had been two people chatting. I think some of the best podcasts out there are just two people talking and you're just listening in on the conversation. That's a very easy way to get a very high quality podcast. But I didn't. I went the hard way. Quality for me looks like a very a topic which is interesting to people beyond just marketing. So trying to find a concept which links heavily to marketing but is interesting beyond just that. It means... Getting to the point very quickly, like you said. So I use the Curiosity Gap a lot in when I'm creating my podcast. The Curiosity Gap is this idea that you just hide information from people when you start your story. So but Shakespeare... Clickbait. It, yeah, it is clickbait, yeah. Shakespeare was the original clickbaiter. Actually, Charles Dickens was, and Arabian Nights even before that... Shakespeare, all of the stories that Shakespeare was written, writing about, they were existing stories. He was rewriting existing stories. The only thing he changed when he rewrote them is he removed a lot of the information about the character, which was always shared at the start of the story. So at the start of the story, Hamlet is declared as being insane. And then you watch the rest of the story. Shakespeare removes that and leaves you to ponder what's going on in his head. Is this the same person or not? And having that gap and creating that curiosity, having that clickbait makes people far more likely to watch. So that or listen or listen whatever it is that's something i really try and think about with all of my episodes so what bit of what will get people hooked on this story but really what can you almost hide hold back and reveal later on to keep people listening that's i think that's really important that's something you usually.
1: Yeah, in the introduction, I said how in today's episode, you learn how to juggle a full-time with a successful side project, and people stay to know how to do that, and yeah. we have yet to talk about it. <laughs> no, no, we have. But I love the way, by the way, you're such a fucking nerd, where you just back up <laughs> what you say with the actual bias and all of that. It's, I think that's it's important. That yeah, no, important. you're a fucking we- you're a weirdo, just like me. <laughs> okay, so you have that podcast, you tried a few things that failed before, just like me. So people listening now, like they are excited, they feel they can do something, not necessarily a podcast, but something else, right? So let's maybe try to break it down into steps, into first principles that they can follow, especially for people listening right now who are in a full-time job. They might be happy, they might be unhappy, but they wanna do something. They wanna create art, right? In the right sense of the world, not a painting necessarily, but they want to share. So what's step one? What should they do first?
0: I would say the first thing you wanna do is go and read if it's a newsletter, watch if it's a channel or listen to the best in in the field that you're looking to enter. So that's really important. This is classic positioning, right? Go and see what your competitive alternatives are and try and learn from them. Try and write down what they're doing. Try and figure out how they're doing things differently. Really spend a lot of time analyzing that. I think that will give you a bit of a leg up in terms of learning what's good and that's not so you can be different a lot of people would say oh listen to everything else so you can find out a unique angle oh if we just talk about marketing but then add a load of data science stuff that unique angle will make people more likely to listen i don't think that's why the most popular podcasts aren't uniquely different they're just best in craft they're just doing the same thing everyone else is doing
1: but at a much higher level i think that's the same for newsletters i think that's the same for everything else it's such an important thing here right yeah. this is absolutely one of the biggest reasons why people don't do anything or they do something and then they stop they think they have to be unique different they are obsessed about thinking that they need to create something that is unique or different no you should lean exactly as you said you should lean on something that is already on in demand for fucking sure it already exists in some way shape or form like interview podcasts or whatever else but then you have to find You can play inside that cube once you have defined it, right? Yes, you can then make the most, the best marketing podcast that interviews guests with actionable steps and whatever. But don't try to invent something brand new that no one fucking knows. Don't try to be too clever. And again, Mm. this is when taste and experience comes in, right? This is so difficult to explain consciously. But it's like just giving something that people are aware of, also giving them something slightly new, a little twist. Yeah. It's huge, isn't it? And it's, I think you're right. It's why a lot of people don't start because they
0: just think, oh, I need to be completely different. And it's that's not true. You just need to be good at what you're doing. So yeah, do that. Do your research. Think a lot about what perfection looks like in your field
1: and then aim for it. Aim for it. So when you say doing research, let's go specific. What are we talking about here? How do you do research? You said you talked about what perfection looked like. How yeah. did you actually do it?
0: Yeah, so listen to, for me, I listened to every top. I went to the Chartable, which is, where all of the ranks for podcasters are and you can sort by top 10 in the uk so you can sort by top 10 marketing podcasts you can then chuck that marketing podcast into a a website called listen notes and just see if it's only up there because it's, it's like tweaking the algorithm in some way so if it's on listen notes but it's if it's not on listen notes then you don't listen to it and then listen to those ones that are really successful and just try and pick out what they're doing i guarantee they're doing a few things they're doing curiosity gap stuff so they're holding back information and not sharing it right at the start. Most of them... And one other thing you should look for is whether or not these individuals already have a much bigger presence elsewhere. And the podcast is just a sidecar to that other presence. Because the podcasts are people who, for example, are celebrities or have an unbelievable social media presence. We're talking millions. Or perhaps are authors. Their podcast probably won't be best in class in podcasting because it's just they're piggybacking on their other fame so you want to look for people who are really only creating a podcast or focusing on that and seeing how what they're doing which is unique they'll be doing stuff like curiosity gap they'll be doing stuff like i think they'll be making sure that their guests are very well prepped so you won't be listening to a conversation which starts with hi my name is xyz i do xyz oh brilliant tell me about like it'll be straight to the point they'll probably have a topic which is really crisp so the the title of the podcast won't be data science discussion with Dr. John Rosenveld, who worked at Uber, it'll be something like really crisp, like how to juggle a full-time job <laughs> <I was told. laughs> Yeah, be this. <laughs> that you can picture what this thing's almost clickbaity. the data science thing you wish you had known when you were just starting out or something like that. And they'll get right into that. And then they can save all of that sort of chatter for the midpoint of the podcast. I think that they'll do a
1: lot of that. So yeah, that's what I would encourage people to do, that research first before starting the rest of it's quite easy. So that's an example from the podcast. And if I had to go back a level up, it's really about looking for themes, right? Looking for commonalities. What do they seem to do? All of them, what tends to happen? And going back to your knowledge of consumer psychology, evolutionary psychology, it's very important, in my opinion, in the research phase to link it back to first principles, right? So that you don't fall into the trap of following best practices instead. So Mm. you mentioned the curiosity gap. You mentioned so many other stuff already. Like, why are they doing it? Why does it work on people? And is it going to work forever, or is it just a fucking trick, growth hack, and bullshitty move, right? Mm. So backing it up with actual fundamental truths about human behavior helps you to stay grounded and stop looking at fucking best practices that will go out of fashion. Yeah, there's this weird
0: bias we have, which is when we see the input, the labour that goes into something, we value it much more. So if you see someone cooking your meal at a restaurant, you will say that meal tastes better. If you get given a whiskey and it says it's been casked for 40 years, you'll say it tastes better than the identical whiskey that doesn't have that label on it. If a real estate agent gives you, this is a real study, gives you a list of 20 houses and gets you to say how much you think those houses are relevant to you and says they took spent all night preparing that list, you'll value those houses more than the same list when he or she doesn't say that they spent on that preparing that list. That's input bias labor illusion. And that's like, this is something which is not a growth tracks. It's not something that's come about. This is an evolutionary bias we all have. When we see the work that goes into something, we have a heuristic that means we value it more, and that will always be with us until we evolve into a slightly different species. So in your podcast, as an example, people will be listening to it with that in mind. They'll be thinking, how much time has this person put into creating this thing? There's a few things you can do right at the start of your podcast just to trigger that. One thing is you can say, I have spent 50 hours researching this topic. Here's everything I found. That's a brilliant way just to trigger. It's exactly how Steve Jobs started almost all of his keynotes. If you listen back to the keynotes on iPad, iPhone, he starts by saying, we've oh, spent three years working on this thing and we're so happy to introduce it. These speeches are absolutely written down to a T and he's putting that in there because he knows it triggers the labour illusion. And that's the sort of thing, if you understand those first principles, you can use that in your podcast. If you start your podcast by saying, I've done this, or perhaps you have edited the audio In such a crisp way let's say you're doing a podcast on veranos and elizabeth holmes for example she's back in the news at the moment if you had a really crisp audio entry which was 30 seconds long loads of different cuts from her testimonies her advertising news journalists talking about it you can show that you've put a lot of time into creating this thing
1: without even having to say it so first principles like that they'll stand the test of time any other psychology principles that you need to look and you run your research so you mentioned the curiosity gap input bias labor illusion anything else that stand the test of time on that you should lean on whether or not you have a podcast or thinking of doing a podcast like a newsletter or anything else
0: a big one is reciprocity. So reciprocity, you will laugh at me, Louis, for calling this a bias and for giving it a name because it's just being nice to people is essentially what reciprocity is. It's one of Cialdini's six key principles of influence is what he talks about it in his book, Influence, Robert Cialdini's book. And reciprocity is this idea that people feel inclined to return a favor. So we are more likely to do something for someone if they've done something for us. I see podcasters use this all the time. I use this a lot as well. So my course, which I created, I originally made it free. The only thing I asked for in return was a a review of my podcast. And that helped my podcast get 300 five-star reviews within sort of six months really quickly. And that gave me the social proof that when people went and looked up my my podcast, they would then know that it was good to watch so reciprocity can be really valuable you can use it in all sorts of ways so you can use it to get reviews you could for example use it to get better guests as well so if you've just interviewed someone the thing you should say at the end of the interview is that was brilliant you were really fantastic i can't wait for the audience to hear that is there anyone else you would recommend coming on the show once you've done something for someone once you've Allow them to come on your podcast it's much easier to get them to do something for you so yeah reciprocity is one especially if you want to grow your listeners and get some new guests on the show
1: yeah like i always say when you are stuck in your markets you don't get results and stuff like that and try to give before expecting anything in return usually that's the core thing that is missing they expect to take from people take money take time take resources out without doing anything on their side you mentioned HubSpot before it's a classic example now of reciprocity. We give knowledge for free, and people will return a favor by paying attention. Lean magnets, I fucking hate the term, but lean magnets for newsletters, the exact same thing. Like giving a book for free, sending a book uh, over the post and signing it and say that's it. The beautiful thing about reciprocity is you don't have to ask anything in return. The experiment where researchers sent Christmas cards to like, I don't yeah. know how many hundreds of people, and yeah. more than half, I think, replied, with their own postcard, you didn't say "reply with a postcard." You just send it one. So you can just be very clear about just give something away without being sneaky, that people will reciprocate in some way, shape, or form. The interesting side effect of this, or the other side of the reciprocity, is that there is actually a reciprocity decay, as you probably know, right? Mm-hmm. So the desire to give back wanes rapidly over time. You need to pay. You need to get the juice as fast as possible. Don't wait two or three months for a favor returned. Yeah, I'm trying to think. There is a study
0: which looked at just that. They measured how likely people were to take action on something and then measured if there was a delay and the delay completely removes the likelihood of taking action.
1: Yeah, it's um, a new it's a research by Chuan Kessler and Milkman in 2018, yeah. I believe. Oh, so uh, you just knew that off
0: the top of your head. Amazingly. No,
1: I've like research in front of me as well. That's what I have in front of me. Is yeah, what do you have in front of you? I won't tell you. I'll tell you at the end. <laughs> what I have in front of me is the result of literally thousands of hours of research, of me going through the podcast episodes that I did, books, my own thought, my own notes, swipe files and everything. And it's structured in a way where like when I interview someone now, I can just go to it, really quickly find information I'm looking for. And that's not specific to your guests, that is just general, that's Louis' mind bank. Yes, my second brain, that's, uh, Tiago Forte talks about building a second brain. It's not perfect, but it's really fucking good. I have, yeah, just endless stuff. So when I read a book that is good, for example, I would take notes of it like on purpose. And I would take a screenshot on Kindle, put it as a bullet point, add a summary to it so I can quickly find it, and then categorize it. But I can also create mirrors of that same thing, meaning you can sit in different places at the same time. And if I modify one, it modify everywhere. So that's very helpful for my daily emails, for example. But yeah, going back to the labor illusion, that's not a fucking illusion. Labor came into that. And trust me, the reason why I'm able to back it up with research fast is because it just took me so fucking long. So it goes back to what you are saying earlier about yeah. doing your research and stuff. OK, do they have other presence? Don't be, don't look at newsletters or podcasters and in isolation. Look at whatever else they have got going on. Leverage the curiosity gap input bias, labor illusion, reciprocity. Once you have that, what do you do? Let's talk about
0: podcast marketing because I think it's something which is really important. I believe that podcasts don't grow organically. I don't think there is a good enough search tool. There are people, you're probably one of them, Louis, who can buck the trend, but there really isn't a good search tool for podcasts. So just creating a really good podcast with a title which is linking to the thing that you're creating probably won't be enough to get people to find it, discover it, Listen to it. And so you do have to think about how you're going to market the podcast. How are you going to get new listeners? How are you going to get people to subscribe? And yeah, as I mentioned at the start, I've tried loads of different things. I've tried advertising on Twitter, on Facebook, on LinkedIn. Very, very difficult to get listeners to come from there. I spent like over two grand on TikTok. I did a whole episode on this where I got 3,000, no, 11,000 followers on TikTok, over a million views. All of the TikToks were clips from the episode at the end it said click my link in bio i had a link in my bio on my tiktok which linked to my podcast i could track every single click and how many people listened using chartable smart links And I saw from the million views from thousands spent, 11,000 followers, I had I think 50 people actually go and listen to an episode (laughs) of my podcast. Absolutely none. Unfortunately for me, same with newsletters. I've advertised on newsletters. I've advertised on Caitlin Borgoyne's brilliant newsletter. And what that was brilliant for was for getting newsletter subscribers. So I've got (laughs) loads of newsletter subscribers. Very few people went and listened to my podcast though. And the finding here is if you want... The issue of podcasting is not everybody listens to a podcast. It's not universal. Everybody reads. So everyone and everyone has emails. So everyone has the potential to sign up to your newsletter. Everybody has Twitter. So everyone has the potential to follow you on Twitter or TikTok or whatever medium. It's a much smaller percentage of people who actively listen to podcasts as well. Not just people who maybe listen once in a while, but listen once a week and have seven in rotation. So the learning here is if you want people to find your podcast, you need to be present or you need to reach people who are already listening to podcasts. The easiest way to reach people who are already listening to podcasts is to reach them whilst they're listening to podcasts. So the cliche advice you'll hear here is go and be a guest on other podcasts. And it is cliche, but it really does work. So going on to other, being a guest on other podcasts like I'm doing today is a great way to drive traffic to your own podcast. But I think there are other ways of doing it as well. So if you're a bit smaller, you can do feed, feed swaps. So find a podcast of a similar size and agree for one week. To, you, you can put one of their episodes on your feed and they can put one of yours on your feed. That can be a good way to cross-reference or just doing cross-promotion. So part of the HubSpot community, I'm, part of the agreement is there is a 30-second ad at the start of everybody's podcast, which pitches one of the other podcasts in the community, in the network. That's brilliant. Now that's a very formalized thing, but I could have done that informally and I should have been doing that informally with folks like you, Louie, and uh, and loads of others. I should have just been saying like, I'm going to promote your podcast this week. Is there any way you can do the same for me? Because that's one of the best ways. And then finally, yeah, the easiest way to waste your money is to spend it on platforms where people aren't listening to podcasts. The issue is advertising on other podcasts is really expensive. So it's really not cheap per listener to advertise on podcasts. And yet the most significant growth I've seen From my show, was advertising on a network. So I advertise on Acast's network. Acast run a bunch of podcasts mainly in the UK. You can just create an ad, put it out over those networks. The ad is just me saying something about nudge. But there'll be a bit of a curiosity gap in there. There'll be a bit of labour illusion. There'll be a lot of social proof, and that will hopefully get people to listen to the show. Clearly say what the show is and say why don't you listen after this. That ad goes out across for a month. In mid-rolls, pre-rolls, post-rolls, and that really does drive listeners. Overcast is something I hear, I see a lot. I used to do a lot of Overcast ads. Just for people listening, Overcast is a podcast player, which isn't particularly popular. It's not as big as Spotify or Apple, but in that bracket below. But they let you pay to appear at the top of the category that the person is looking at as an ad. So if you click on business, you can appear as an ad at the top of the business category. The prices of those fluctuate quite a bit. And can actually get really expensive. i found that doesn't drive as many listeners as I hope. It does drive subscribers and clicks on Overcast. But I've spent quite a bit on that and haven't seen the same level as actually being on another podcast. And I think this comes back to the point of... If someone's listening to a podcast, they hear an ad of my voice or your voice, Louie, saying, here's why you should listen to my show. That is the closest thing they can get to actually listening to a show. It's the closest they can get to knowing what the show is like. Reading one line of text on a podcast player explaining why everyone hates marketers is great. Won't really tell them why it's great. It's not really giving them enough information to go off. If they maybe have heard of the show before, they might click on it and listen to it. But advertising on another show is easily the best way to do it so that would be my advice don't waste money on some of those other forms try and advertise on shows if you can
1: yeah i love that man you've thought about it way more than i ever have i never did any of the stuff you mentioned which is funny i'm not saying this is bad not at all so again i think going one level up right forgetting that about podcasting because i'm taking notes now by the way that's a new improvement for season three i actually take notes what people say i don't try to remember it um I think the, the first principle there is be where people are already doing that thing. So if you're starting a newsletter, the easiest way is absolutely to be in other people's newsletter because you know that they read your newsletters. Yes, everyone has emails. Do everyone pay attention to newsletters? No. My wife has an email. She doesn't fucking care about newsletters. Mm-hmm. She's not in marketing. She doesn't give a shit. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think, very important. And this goes back to triggers. What are triggering people to start listening to podcasts? What are triggering people to do certain things? And you can use the five W's thing, like why, when, where, with whom, with what? All right, a good question to ask. With what would be well, for listening to podcasts with, with my iPhone? With whom on my own? When in the morning, during a run, or when I do the, my dishes? but it's always very closely related to what you described. The second thing that I pick up from what you said, which is something I fucking say all the time, which is borrow other people audiences. Don't try to start from scratch on your own like a fucking idiot. Do it by leaning on other people's audiences, creators' audiences, brand audiences, Having guests on a podcast works really well because they can share that with their network, but it works for any type of side project. So lean on things that already exist. Don't try to reinvent the fucking wheel and definitely borrow other people's audiences and build partnerships. Like, as you said, for the podcast, feed swapping and stuff like that. Don't try to do things in isolation. That's something I used to do, used to try to isolate myself a bit. Definitely just be fucking kind with each other and build a network like that. Definitely will bring you way faster than I think any other. Kind of first principles. And then yeah, be willing to spend fucking money, right? Today's world is very different from a few days, a few years ago when it comes to the creator economy. There's way more people now doing it, thanks to or because of COVID and all of that. And it's getting sexy. Copywriters on TikTok sharing copywriting again, a grand a, year, a day doing copywriting. So being willing to spend money, time or or resources is what is needed nowadays. You have to put money in some way, shape, or form. Does it feel like a good summary of what you said? It does. It does. Yeah. I would ask you a question because I can imagine somebody listening,
0: thinking, this is great if I have a newsletter or I have a YouTube, if I'm on a platform where the thing I'm creating is on a platform Mm. that's creative anyway. That's not a good way of describing it. But you also have a course. You also run a cohort. And that's a lot harder to market. You wouldn't advertise your course on other courses. So what advice would you give for people who perhaps uh, don't have a presence on one of these channels? that need to advertise their thing? Where would you suggest they go if you're a course creator, for example?
1: Leaning on other people's agencies works. So for example, in cohort-based courses, you can go and create a course on Maven which enables you to create a cohort-based course and lean on their audience. So instead of trying to do it from scratch with no email list, just fucking bite the bullet and doing it in someone else's, making sure that you still have the rights to use that course and the content, which is the case for Maven. That's a quick example, right? So you can always find ways. These companies, brands, creators need one thing consistently now, which is good fucking content. So if you're able to create good fucking content, partner up. Create that course that you and only you can do and then partner up. If you are playing the long game, which is more like a full-time job and you have time, then absolutely try to create something that you can leverage later. And the cliche is still very, very fucking true. An email list, in my opinion, is the thing. However where you get the emails, you have to this is such a this is the blood, like, this is the fucking my business. If you remove my podcast, you can remove my LinkedIn. You can remove everything else. Don't remove my email list. Cause I know I can sell it with my email list. And I won't go broke with an email list. With a podcast, we can do ads and stuff and hey, you know, it's very difficult to track. It's not as direct and quick. Yeah, email list. Does it answer your question? Good advice. Yeah, it does. Thank you. Are you interviewing me now you've switched the <laughs> Yeah. It's, okay. it's my podcast. Yeah, it would come to Nudge. So let's move on to a bit more practical steps. Instead of asking you how would you recommend someone to do it, meaning juggle two and start, I want to ask you how you did it. I want you to hear a bit of your story because your podcast is four years old. Did you do anything before like that, like on the side? Did you like, I don't know, run little events or whatever? What was your experience like before? I was constantly trying to create something. I've tried to run a business
0: where we sent out flight deals to people like an email newsletter before email newsletters were popular which would say the best deals you could get to go on holiday training courses i tried to run i tried to run a really silly business which was a b2b awards business i basically was doing all the awards submission for my old company at Brownwash i thought i'm just paying money to apply to any old award i could just create my own awards and people would pay money to apply to that and that <laughs> was dumb so yeah i was constantly trying to think of things the podcast was an interesting one. I actually was, me and some other colleagues at my old company, Bramwatch, we wanted to create something called the Digital MBA, which is not a new concept anymore, but back then was fairly new, where we wanted to get the same experience you would get from running an MBA, but online. Again, sounds very common now, but I think it was a bit newer back in 2018 or whatever we were thinking about it. And as part of that, I thought I really love behavioral science. Let me go and interview a bunch of behavioral scientists, and we can use that as part of the course. So I did all these interviews, and then, as usual with these side projects, just dwindled into nothing. We never did anything, and then I went. I took a sabbatical from work in 2019. So me and my partner, we flew to New Zealand, lived in New Zealand for three months. I was a bar, I was like a waiter at a restaurant, just doing that, and then we went to South America, travelled across there for four months, and. Whilst I was waiting in New Zealand, I just kept thinking about these recordings that I had and thought, oh, I'd really love to create that into a podcast. I'd really love to to do something with my time. I've got a lot of free time. I, there's really something special in giving yourself time, just in general. it's Just giving yourself time that isn't necessarily a holiday, but giving yourself time to think through what you're doing and to have the capacity to action on something you want to do. If I hadn't been traveling, there's no way I would have created the podcast. I wouldn't have had the time to do it and the energy. To invest into it. So I had these four recordings and I thought, well, I can create eight episodes out of that at least because I can they're hour-long recordings. And my style of my podcast is basically a narrative discussion where the guest speaks and then I record a script that goes over the top a bit more of a sort of MP- NPR style. So I did those episodes, published them whilst I was away, got back. Very few people were listening. I just set myself the goal of getting 1,000 listeners to an episode, which I definitely hadn't hit by the time I got back, but I realized that I really enjoyed the process of creating the podcasts, really enjoyed researching them and just continued to do it and it grew slowly and slowly from there. I've learned a lot of lessons about growth, but my growth was very stagnant for pretty much two, three years. Very little happened.
1: Yeah. That sounds familiar and you just kept at it, right? What made you keep going? So I did a two-week podcast cadence, which made it very
0: easy. So publishing one podcast, 20-minute podcast every two weeks is easy. I love behavioral science. I love psychology. I think studying how people make decisions is possibly the most, one of the most interesting things you can study. I think it just relates to every aspect of life. So I really loved reading all of the authors and having an excuse to interview them and talk to, I know it's cliche, every podcaster says, oh, I started the podcast so I could talk to experts. There is that, there's a little bit of that element. I think also I'm just, I really enjoyed creating. I loved working on something and being able to look back at at a 30 minute piece of audio, which was a creation of X amount of hours of work, having something, an output, which is so clearly defined is very rewarding and something that you don't get in a typical marketing job at least I don't think so I just liked
1: it I liked having something that I could look at and say that was me I did that very much like the same thing for me what made me keep going was I was enjoying those interviews I felt easy right like to talk to people felt very easy and even though people were starting to give me feedback saying you're very good at interviewing I was like It's just literally me coming up with shit at the top of my head, like literally, like without much preparation. But clearly, I was good at it. But then the craft of, yeah, of shipping something and just getting out of your own head, and that's art, right? That's the true meaning of creating art. And in the world of AI at the minute, art will always be there, uh, created by humans, because humans have this fundamental need to share what they believe in and and their creations. I completely relate with that. One thing I'd add, Louis, is that I
0: think we're getting onto this sort of rhetoric, which you often hear podcasters say, which is, oh, consistency helped me. Oh, I just was able, I just built the consistency. You just have to make 30 podcasts. You just have to do it once a week. And I really don't want us to share that advice because I hate that advice. I hate it when podcasters say, oh, if you just create 10 podcasts, you're in the top 10% in the world because most podcasts don't have 10 episodes. It's just, it's shit advice. And it's also bullshit. It's not true. Like, The worst thing you can do if you're starting something is just aim for a consistency number i know it makes it easy to start i know it makes it easy to write a newsletter if you just think write five i know it makes it easier to start a youtube channel if you just think create five videos but it's very selfish thing to think away you should be thinking what do my audience want and what can i create one thing just one thing what one thing can i create that would make people really want to listen. And that's nothing to do with consistency. You don't want to create five things and then after you've created five people will magically listen. Spend all of that effort creating one thing, one YouTube video, one TikTok, one podcast that people would actually want to listen to and share. And I think this rhetoric in marketing at the moment that consistency trumps quality is really bad. And I would urge people to look at YouTubers. I think YouTubers, because of the algorithm and because of the way YouTube is set up, they successful youtubers know that consistency isn't good enough if you want to be big you need to create one very high quality video and go from there i always think the same for podcasts it's way too easy to create five podcasts it's really difficult to create one podcast which is
1: top class a class so that's interesting because i disagree with you right yeah used to agree right i really used to agree like quality terms quantity and stuff like that Mm -hmm. but i think that works if you have Experience, taste—if you have developed those skills over time, right? Which is your Mm -hmm. case, which is my case. I didn't get start a podcast without any experience in marketing. I had already created a marketing agency that failed. I had already worked for a startup. I had been a lecturer. I organized a few events in Dublin where I interviewed people, so I could already know. I already knew, you know, what. Even though not maybe not consciously, but subconsciously, I have that knowledge of creating something worthwhile. I don't think that you can do that. When you're starting out or even after a few years you have to create things and sometimes it's quantity first to know what's quality do you know what i mean i don't think many people know what quality is until they fucking ship and then you see what sticks right that's what i do on linkedin at first my daily posts were shit and then they get better now they're shit again so i need to learn how to make them better this is the conundrum right i believe that quantity leads to quality and that's the thing if you look at mr Beast's first video they are shit so he didn't come up with a fucking banger straight away <laughs> I disagree on mr beast he had something
0: in his first videos which made him viral input bias is what it is by the way so would you just I'm like trying to take in what you're saying you're saying yeah quality comes out of consistency and you're also saying you did have a bit of a level up so you started your podcast with good really good marketing knowledge really good networking so what advice would you give to someone who doesn't have your foot up, you, who doesn't have their starting a podcast and they don't have the level of experience you have in marketing? Would you tell them that they could still start a podcast and still get to a good level by being consistent?
1: No, no. I would tell them to get a job. Work for someone else. Don't think you know everything because you don't fucking know anything. Don't try to create a social media marketing agency. Just fucking go to work with someone else. Understand the true... What it actually means to be anxious about paying payroll, making payroll that month, what it actually means to get fucking dollars in, euros, pounds in, to be able to like to fucking leave and pay yourself a salary. Understand what it means to not have any leads for 90 days, 120 days, and struggling to know whether why this product is not fucking working. And then we can talk. Yes, my my biggest advice is don't fucking think you know everything like I used to. When I started my career, you don't do, you don't know shit, right? We don't know shit. We know a bit more, but globally, we don't know shit. And recognize that you, this is how you're gonna learn. Start toying with stuff and all of that. Now you can get lucky, not do any of that and do it. But sometimes people have this kind of. Inherent gift of they just get it like subconsciously they have this thing or they grew up in a like with parents who are into advertising like the daft punk one of the two guys in daft punk his dad was into advertising and so he was able to grasp the concept of creating something fucking spicy from the start because he had his dad talking to him every day about it so unless you have that you have to fucking give up on the, the thinking that you're f- special and smart and you just do the work with someone else and then you'll see that's my advice
0: okay we definitely agree on that because I think that's part of that part of my view of this. Everybody is encouraged, no matter how what level of experience, to share their story and to get their voice out of there. And if you just share it, people will listen. Mm-hmm. I still truly believe that podcasters especially spend far too much time creating and far little time perfecting. I think if podcasters spent as much as the time they did creating their podcasts as they did strategizing and thinking about how to really perfect it, how to come up with a co- bit of content which is really relevant, the levels of podcasts would be much better. That's just, I just don't think that's happening.
1: I completely agree with you on this. But this is the the problem by saying that it quality, think about one piece of content, is that for most people, that creates the anxiety and the stress of, oh, I need to make it so good. Mm. And they never fucking do it. Yeah. They never do. So yeah. it's like focusing on a number really helps at the start. And then once, once you know what sticks and what doesn't, then you can reverse engineer and do that. But that's why, for example, the first interviews that I did I had a different structure where I used to spend a bit more time with the guests and asking them how they are and their career and shit. And I just flip it when I started to get feedback saying, you're very good at interviewing about steps and shit like that. You need to do that, that more. Or you're very good at repeating what people say in your own words so that I can understand. Basically, yeah, the first interviews were not as good as the ones I do now. Yeah. And if I had this thought of, oh, I need to make it the best interview possible from the first time, I would not have started and we wouldn't be talking, I'll be miserable, all of that. Uh, that makes sense. And that this is the last thing
0: I'll say on this. I think I totally agree <laughs> with that. I guess what I would say is I made podcasts for three years and I think they got better at a percentage level of 1%, maybe less. And then I spent six months thinking critically about what perfection looks like and how to grow and learning from others and investing time into thinking about that. And I think just from numbers, alone, like that's when growth started to happen. And so I agree there's a lot of value that comes out of learning through doing. But I also wish I could have told myself back in 2019, before you start, just spend a month listening to loads
1: of podcasts,
0: spend a month watching YouTube creators, spend a month looking at the top TikTok, learn what they're doing. That's what I wish I'd done.
1: It's something I do continuously, right? Which a definitely encourage people to do is like looking at what people are doing, why is it working, why it's not working, and just be curious about the world. Absolutely. I think that's a prerequisite as well. I don't do it like in a, I don't take it a day to analyze everything. I just do it on a regular basis. Like I follow some newsletters. I follow some creators on LinkedIn, Twitter. I do seem to have the pulse and that's enough sometimes, but yeah, I agree with you. Okay. Moving on, side hustling is very hot right now, right? The creator economy is hot. It's hot as fuck. Everyone's talking about it or it feels like everyone's talking about it. So why don't you quit your job like all the gurus tell you to? Yeah, good question first of all i love my job it's a great place to work it's a fantastic
0: company and it's a company that's very supportive of side hustles yeah there is a lot of a push to quit everything and go full-time on a side hustle there's a good analogy that if you're doing a side hustle maybe you're spending a fifth of your time or a sixth of your time working on something and if you're generating a certain income and you times that by six you can quickly try and predict what you might make You've done it another way, Louis, which is you've pre-sold. And that's always, I think, a really smart way of going into a side hustle. So pre-selling, figuring out what you'll make before you actually dive in. So that's something to do as well. I think for me right now, I really want control and freedom in my life. I really want the ability to be able to plan out my future, to figure out what I'm going to be able to do, to focus on the things I want to focus on. Going full-time into a side hustle might mean, that I no longer have the freedom to manage my time in that way. I think that might be the reason. I also think there is a point at which people get to with their side hustle where you just know it's a full-time thing. And I think that point is different for everyone. I'm not quite sure what that point is for me, but I'm not there yet. Not near that yet. So that's an easy one
1: for me to just say, okay, I know I'm not at that level yet. So it's. time so in terms of when we talk about your side projects so you have the nudge podcast if we Mm -hmm. break it down like you have the nudge podcast where you tend to do solo episodes at the minute right heavily researched well edited then you have a newsletter where you basically link to the podcast correct yeah yep the newsletter is very light touch but yeah Yeah. It's like very small emails, but it does the job. And then you have a course as well. You created a little course. Yeah. So that was about three years ago. I created
0: a course called the Science of Marketing course. Breaks down marketing into different funnels and talks through how psychology can be
1: applied at each stage. And do you have anything else on top of that? Do you make money from all of those?
0: Yeah. Good question. My podcast is part of the HubSpot creator network. So HubSpot This is very interesting from a marketer's point of view. Those in SaaS will know HubSpot is historically famous for inbound marketing. So they promoted and almost coined inbound marketing and built their strategy around creating content on their website, usually via their blog, that was well invested, well created, well researched, and it made people come to HubSpot.com, read that content, and then a portion of which would convert. I'm saying this like it's a new thing. Every marketer listening to this will be like, yeah, that's just marketing. But when HubSpot came up with that model, probably 20 2008, 2010, 2011 maybe, that was really new and it became how all SaaS companies marketed themselves and really now how all, all companies market themselves, especially those with an online presence. They built this inbound marketing model. In 2019 onwards, HubSpot started to realize that inbound marketing just doesn't work as well as it used to. There's now too much content available online. There's also lots of very high quality content being put out by companies. Most companies are very well paid, very good content writers now. That wasn't the case 10 years ago. And HubSpot have realized that more and more people get their information from creators rather than from companies. So they've built this creator network, of which I'm part of, where they have a licensing agreement with podcasts like mine. With that agreement, I agree to only play HubSpot ads. HubSpot agree to pay me. So they pay me a fee to just as they would having an advertiser on the show. It's tiered. This is really fascinating to talk about. Basically, right now, it's about, ends up being about £40,000 a year, depending on how much. But HubSpot also pay money to market my podcast. So they pay me money to advertise my podcast. And I think it might be interesting getting to podcast advertising. I think I've spent more on podcasting advertising than any other solo creator out there because they pay me at the moment $7,500 a month to market wow. the show. Huge amount of money. And couldn't be more different from you because you grew your show without spending a penny on adverts. And I'm doing the opposite and it's not as easy as it might seem. So it's a really lucrative, I think it's a really fantastic cohort to be of because they invest in growing your show. They really want your show to be the number one marketing show in the UK, in the US is the goal we've got for, for
1: Nudge. You'll be second, but that's okay. <laughs> Close enough for first, right? <laughs>
0: yeah exactly so yeah there is payment coming from and it's mainly just from hubs what i also charge about 250 quid for the course and get maybe five people buying that a month
1: so you're basically making roughly five grand a month from all of this yeah which is not too fucking shabby it's brilliant yeah it's brilliant when we take distance from the little small bubble that we're part of right the creator economy like we follow the same people there isn't thousands of people doing what we're doing so it's easy to just to look and think everyone is like that like five grand a month so many people are just dreaming of making that amount just for a normal full-time job and struggling right now like with recession looming or whatever the anxiety the war in ukraine all of that so i think it's important to just realize that what you're doing is fantastic and it's such a big achievement already yeah thanks larry so many people want to do the same right they're going to listen to this conversation, and they'll think, I want to be like, Phil, how do I do it? And I don't think they realize necessarily the sacrifices that it takes. And I am saying that very openly because I know exactly what I mean by sacrifice, meaning sacrifice of in terms of time, inviting guests in the evening time for the podcast, and trying to find a narrow time during the workday to get people to interview them, or later after work, where you're already fucking drained, and you get to interview someone. Like Seth Godin, like I interviewed him after a day of work, and you get tired. The stress dealing with both for me it was the stress of juggling the two and caring about both, and just feeling you're splitting in two. Your identity is—it was a very weird feeling for me that this identity thing was like I felt like I had two people that I had to manage, and I had to act a certain way at a hot job. Then I was acting a different way with the podcast. All of that—that's what I mean by sacrifice. And then the money—I didn't spend money on ads, but I spent money on a lot of shit, like the logos and transcription at the time when AI wasn't that good. So yeah, it took me fucking years, right? I didn't make any money from anything until four years. So yeah, I just wanted to say that as an intro <laughs> to that question. So what sacrifices did you have to make yeah. to arrive where you are? Totally, that all of that completely resonates, Louis.
0: Yeah, for me, minimum eight hours a week spent on the podcast. And that's in addition to the job. And that really is a minimum of raw hours spent working on the thing. That's not time spent thinking about the side project, which I'm gonna do, but it's a whole different thing. I'm lucky with Buffer. Buffer runs a four-day work week, which is they're pretty strict about. So Fridays we have off, we can spend it on time that we wanna do. Buffer incentivizes, they really want people to spend that on side projects, to learn outside your job, do something else. So it couldn't be a better company for me to be at with that regard. So I spend full day Friday working on the podcast. And then, like you said, we're not recording this on a Friday, we're recording this over lunch on a Wednesday. So there'll be recordings that I have to do at other times. Usually on the weekend, I'm spending a couple of hours doing it. So total hours, it's eight hours a week up to maybe 15 and more depending on what type of week it is. But like you said, I don't think the issue is raw hours. I think that's something that a lot of people who are starting out obsess over. They think if I can just make four hours out of my work week, if I can just finish early one day or work into the night on Wednesdays or do this or that or the other, you can just put hours aside, you can get it done. It's not how it works. It's not really about the amount of hours. The real issue is the attention. So previously, if you don't have a side hustle, your full attention can be on work and then all the other shit that comes with a life. But with a side hustle, you have this competing attention where there is constantly something else competing to your attention, which is not as important for me. Like My full-time job is arguably more important. It's what I spend more of my time doing. But it can compete for your attention and that could be really hard to juggle trying to find the time to think about it in the right way because most of the job most of the job of being a podcaster is coming up with crap to talk about coming up with something to an episode to create researching reading thinking about what to do next that's the big anxiety element So, managing the attention is the real issue
1: of course you can have a podcast for a month and do it like on the wednesday evening as you mentioned whatever but can you do that for four fucking years most likely not so you need like the discipline the structure the confidence There were so many moments where i nearly quit that fucking thing and it's just that's what it requires right so the brain exactly as you said the four hour that you might think of putting aside instead of watching Netflix is not equal to other hours necessarily at the beginning of the day because your brain just doesn't function anymore. So it's such a big thing that people don't realize when it comes to that. And just to talk about briefly what you mentioned. So you said at Buffer for the work week, they actively encourage you to do side projects. With Hotjar, this is when I had an issue for a bit, right? And don't get me wrong, Hotjar was fucking fantastic to work with. I'm just so grateful for everything they've done for me, for my career, for my skills. I've learned so much being part of the like, rocket ship, like Hoja was just tremendous. I just, I love the product, everything. But they really had to struggle with the side project thing, right? It was not an issue at first when I got hired, but after a while it became an issue where it felt they were not super comfortable with it. And from their perspective, I understand they want people committed to the job and they know that a you know, side project takes a lot of your attention and maybe your proper hours like where you're very productive maybe tend to go to the side project not to the full-time job as an employer i understand that perspective so you don't have to deal with that now which i think removes some part of the anxiety that i had towards the end of it yeah
0: i experienced something similar maybe at Hotjar. Hotjar again were very supportive but there was always a question of if it's making money it's a different question i don't know if that's what came up with you but that's what i remember hearing and yeah that actually plenty of those i left hot job because i buffer for me was a better fit but that did come into my thinking as well of here's a company that doesn't actively has people at buffer who create brilliant apps which make far more than i do of my podcast people who write books run side hustles run podcasts it's a real community of creators who have a side hustle so that did come into my thinking and yeah the stress i really feel for people who are at companies who don't support their side hustle and they have to to hide yeah having to hide it it's really tough
1: okay doing your research leaning on those principles like being where people are at being willing to spend money like being borrowing other people's audiences anything else you can think of as a last step as a last kind of insight advice for people i could give more cliche stuff i do think you have to love it i do think you have to
0: enjoy what you're doing i do think it makes a difference if you feel energized when you wake up and do your thing but that's not. Really, you can't really follow that advice because you can't start loving something
1: if you don't if you don't want to. But, so pay attention to yeah. what you love, though. Like the advice that I've learned through a few guests is instead of trying to figure out actively what do I like, what do I enjoy, look at evidence of that thing. So this is why writing is important, even whether it's journaling, blogging leaving notes, looking back at all the stuff you've done in the past, right? Like, I started a fake forum with my friends in high school to take the piece out of curling as a sport when we discovered (laughs) it in the Winter Olympics. And that was the first time I've ever created something. And I learned how to create a forum. At the time, there was no Facebook and shit like that. And I created it from scratch. And I forgot about it until a few years after when I was lost and I didn't know what to do. Marketing wasn't in my mind. And I connected the dots there. I was like, fuck. This forum, this thing, all of that is the same shit. And sometimes it's as easy as that, looking back. Don't try to like overly rationalize and what do I love? Look at evidence because your brain, your subconscious would have done shit over the years. That's what I think. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'll add one more point to that. That's brilliant. I want to find that forum now. Wayback Machine. Yeah, one more thing I'd add is that's the cliche thing is people will tell you, do what you love. And then it's, how do I know what I love? And I think there is good evidence of what brings people enjoyment. And it tends to be control and freedom over financial benefits so there's a brilliant book by elizabeth dunn and michael norton called happy money which analyzes an unbelievable number of studies on how money affects us and there's also another good book on this book called fortitude by bruce daisley and both of those clearly make the point that the thing that brings fulfillment in life that brings joy to the work you're doing is not the payment that you get, it's the control and freedom and autonomy you have over creating that thing. So if you have a choice in your life to pick a road of reducing your freedom, your time, your creative endeavour, but increasing your financial reward versus the other road, the evidence suggests at least, on average, that people are happier when they pick the route of control. So. No matter what you're doing, if you're starting a newsletter, for example, and you decide to, oh, I might sell that newsletter to a company and instead we'll just write content for this company in particular, that actually might, even though that financially might make sense, that might not make sense from a freedom point of view.
1: Yeah, it's such a very important irrational human need, something that we desperately need at all times, like feeling in control, which is why religion and sect and all of that exists. It prevents you from thinking all this universe and we don't fucking know where it's coming from and all of those troubles in the world. It's much easier to think there's one guy responsible up there for all of that shit. And boom, much easier to control than thinking it's just chaos and it's random and you can't do shit about it. Phil, you've been an absolute pleasure love you. You know that, right? And I love what you do. You will be second in the marketing chart moving forward (laughs) as I'm starting again, but it's only fair. What top three resources would you recommend listeners today? Can I just recommend three books? I think reading is one of the easily the best things you can
0: do with your time. Yeah, you probably are marketers who want to learn more about marketing. I would recommend reading Influence by Robert Cialdini. He's the Godfather of social influence. I know Louis recommend this to you hundreds of times, but if you haven't read it, go and read that. Louis had Richard Shotton on the show before his book, The Choice Factory is a much more up to date version of that sort of concept. It's brilliant. definitely go and read it. He's also got a new one coming out and if you want a slightly different recommendation on maybe a bit more philosophical about why you do the things you do in your life, if you want to understand why you want the things you want, why you have the desires you want, why you've taken the path you've taken, read a book called Wanting by Luke Burgess. It explains the, it's all about mimetic desire and the principles of how we want the things we want in our life. And if you want to have your mind blown by and look back at all the decisions you've made over your life and figure out why you made those decisions, that's a really good book to read. So those are three
1: resources I'd recommend. Great. Brilliant. I never heard of that last book. So feel once again, Thanks so much. So where can people learn more from you, connect from you, connect with you, listen to your podcasts?
0: You're on a podcast player, so search for Nudge. You'll see a big orange logo. That's my logo. So you can find me on there. And then my name is Phil Agnew, A-G-N-E-W. I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn. You can find me on there as well. Great, man. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me.
1: And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter Monday to Friday called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple days before said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it, glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, came through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours.